Chef's Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, hey, Friday, that's what I got for you. It's a singing day. I'm going to start the show off with a song. How about let's talk about the fact that I was out west last week in Palm Springs, California. Yes, I was. I took, I got to whisper this because not everybody needs to know about this, but I took two full days to myself. Two days, two whole days. I didn't spend a lot of time on the phone. I didn't spend a lot of time on social media. I had a shoot out in uh, San Jacinto, California. So I flew out there on Thursday um, for the super secret project that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but I will. You guys are going to be happy. I promise. But what I have is the fact that I took two super secret days to myself. Okay. If you're listening to this, feel free to send me a message on Twitter and type or type in hashtag super secret. All right. Um, Because that's what I did. I went out to uh, West Palm. I'm sorry. I was out in uh, California. I flew into Palm Springs. Uh, Had a wonderful PA named Tiffany. She picked me up at the airport. She brought me back down to this tiny little town called San Jacinto, which I really liked. I like a farm town like that. It's kind of cool. And then I shot something that I can't discuss the next day. And then I uh, took uh, Tiffany and I went back up into Palm Springs where Tiffany dropped me off at my hotel. Tiffany's a PA, a production assistant. Um, So whenever you shoot something, there's usually production assistants around to kind of help you with stuff. So Tiff was pretty awesome. A young college kid. Uh, She's got a master's in elementary education. Yeah, master's in elementary education. And she's a production assistant. She does a lot of production out there. Nice girl. Very nice girl. But she dropped me off at a, a very fancy hotel. I travel a lot, boys and girls, and with travel comes points and mileage. So if you ever have the opportunity to drop some of those tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of points that you get when you check into hotels, um, which is what I did this past weekend, and I stayed at the Waldorf Astoria in Palm Springs. This place has been around since 1926, and it feels that way everywhere you look. History, great pictures. It was like old school Hollywood, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin talking about Bob Hope. You know, there's just a really cool vibe to this whole location. And I, I walked a lot. I walked to the premises. I walked the grounds. Um, I, uh, I, I took advantage of everything that was out there. Uh, you know, I, uh, there were hot tubs and there's 52 pools on this property, which was shocking to me. I called downstairs and said, hey, where's the hot tub? And the woman said, well, which one are you looking for? I said, I don't know. Is there one near my room? And she said, walk out the door, go right, and then go right again. And literally 20 yards behind me was a hot tub because I stayed in these really cool little cabanas all along the property. It was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I had a really good opportunity just to sit back and relax and do a lot of brain time, you know, and thinking. Um, I did some meditating. I sat in some uh, some steam rooms for a while. I sat in a steam room for a while, man. I did uh, six 
118 degree sessions, 20 minutes each pop that I loved. Um, if you get a chance and you can find a sauna somewhere, or a hot tub or um, something to that effect, hop in it, man. Sit in, get your body, get your core temp back up, get your body to kind of move around a little bit. I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and, I, you know, I went out to dinner two nights on the premises. I didn't really feel like going out of town. I just wanted to chill where I was, and I really enjoyed that. You know, I was in bed by like 9.30, 10 o'clock most nights, West Coast time, uh, up pretty early the next morning and, you know, in the hot tub first thing every day. And uh, then my flight was delayed. I had to leave on Sunday. And I got to the airport and my flight was delayed so far that they said, look, we can get you into Detroit or into uh, Chicago tonight, but you're not going to get in until quarter of one in the morning. And then you've got a flight flying out at like 530 in the morning. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could stay one more night. So I grabbed a hotel in downtown Palm Springs and went over to my buddy's house, hung out with him and his wife and the baby, the new baby, Martin and Panina. Congratulations on your uh, on your uh, addition of Parker to the family. I'm a big fan. He's a cute kid, really super sweet kid. They they hired a uh, uh, I don't I, I, I'm going to call her a baby whisperer um, and literally set a schedule up for this kid. That's brilliant. The kid doesn't cry, man. The kid is, you know, he's up every two hours and he does his stuff. He's like five months old, four months old. No, not even younger than that. And he, uh, he's just a rock star. So cheers to the baby whisperer out there in Palm Springs, who's making the life of my friends being new parents. Pretty awesome. Um, to me, uh, it was exactly what I needed. I then went back to my hotel and I walked over to the casino, which is right next door to my hotel. And I dropped some money into a slot machine. I had a nice little dinner and then I chilled out again. This was all about relaxation for me. That was my entire part of this two and a half day adventure that I took that was supposed to be eight. So, so that's what I have to say about that. It was just a really good week and I'm really happy. And the hospitality that was shown was just unmatched. Every single where you went from the bar to the front desk, to the valet guys, to, you know, they had golf carts. They could run you around to midday lunch on a golf course. I mean, it was just a really awesome experience. It's not a commercial for the Waldorf Astoria I rarely ever get to stay at a Waldorf Astoria. I am a Hilton dude, which is a part of the the Waldorf family, or Waldorf's a part of the Hilton family. Um, so I stay, you know, usually I'm a Hilton Garden Inn, man. That's where I luck out. That's where we stay. Those are, or Hamptons. You know, I'm a hot tub guy. I like to sit in a hot tub at the end of the day and soak my bones and make some Duffy soup, I guess. That sounds fucking weird. But that's what it is. So... Uh, what we're doing this week on the show um, is a little bit different, but I did some reading while I was out there to kind of catch up and get an idea of what's going on. Um, so I've got two guests that are going to be coming up in just a minute that are uh, uh, just awesome guys, really cool guys. I mean, we're talking about Joe from Doylestown Brewery who um, is a master brewer out there. And a couple of years ago, I was watching a documentary on a thing called Duffy's Cut, which Duffy's Cut is a section of the Pennsylvania Railroad where they have found 57 bodies that were murdered dun, 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 in the 1830s. Now, these 57 gentlemen and lady, one lady, 
uh, named Catherine Burns, who uh, were uh, were murdered. You know, they were told they died of cholera, which was a disease. It's a, an intestinal disease that you get from drinking water and bad stuff like that. And in those days, not everybody would die, but there were 57 people that were dead. They claimed from cholera. Eight of them or seven of them were put into coffins and the remaining uh, are still down there. There's, there's a whole bunch of guys still down there that they have yet to exhume. So Joe has graciously decided that he's going to make a beer called Duffy's Cut. And from that beer, he's going to donate $5 for every case that sells and $20 for every keg that sells. So what they're doing is that money's then going to go into a big fat coffer to help exhume the remaining 50 bodies that are over there. And during the interview, we actually had a little twist that I wasn't prepared for, but you have to listen for that twist when it happens. Okay. So my suggestion to you guys real quick is go over to Doylestown Beverage. If you live in in the Pennsylvania area, go to Doylestown Beverage, grab yourself a case of beer because they're going to donate five bucks right back to Duffy's cut. Grab yourself a keg, get yourself prepared for this winter. It's going to get shitty out there, boys and girls. It's going to get shitty. Get ready for it. Okay. Get yourself a keg of beer, get yourself nice and loopy on an Irish red ale from Doylestown brewery. All right. Now, where does this lead us to next? Next, we have William Watson, who is the author of the book, uh, Duffy's Cut, as well as he is a professor of history at Immaculata University. Uh, what does this mean to me? Well, this means to me that my father graduated from Immaculata University with his doctorate a bunch of years ago, and my father was very interested in this project. My father had actually offered up the opportunity to do some genealogy for this to help kind of uh, put the full circle together from these people that were murdered so we can get back to the collective families and let them know what's going on as well. Unfortunately, my father passed away a couple of years ago. My brother got involved in the show or in the uh, DF Duffy's Cut to create, started to put together a documentary for it. They reached out to me a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago and said, Hey, Brian, is there anything you can do to help this out? Because what happened is these guys are trying to raise some more money. So Duffy's cut is doing the beer and William Watson is, uh, basically the archive guy for this entire thing right now. You know, he's got the whole history. He started this process in 2002. Okay. Bodies weren't actually able to be exhumed until 2008, 9, 10, I believe, then into 11. So, uh, and they actually were able to bring two of those bodies back to Ireland for a proper burial, which was uh, pretty awesome because everybody deserves a proper burial in that world. Um, these families had no idea what happened to these young guys, uh, ages between 18 and 30. Um, a lot of these guys actually were much younger in the 22 to 23, 24 range, a great opportunity to come to the United States as a, as a, as an, as an, you know, as an immigrant to come over here and work and get paid and, and, and have a new idea of life. But instead they were shot in the head, a whole bunch of them. We don't know about everybody, but we're going to find out because you guys are going to help us out. So William Watson is on this show with us as well this afternoon. He's going to help us out a little bit. Um, I'm going to say this real quick. If you're not interested in this, you're probably going to hang up or close it or go to another episode or whatever, but stop where you are and do me a favor and go to Duffy's Cut. 
donations. You can, you can hit it on Google, that really fancy tool that we all use called Google, and just donate a couple bucks. You got 10, drop it in there. You got 500, drop it in there. You got two. Hey, two bucks hurt, helps as well, man. We're trying to exhume these last four, uh, 47 or 57 bodies, these last 50 guys. So uh, everybody, I want you to do me a favor and uh, welcome to Duffified Live, Joe and William Watson of Duffy's Cut. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Okay. Morning. Very good. All right. Good, good. So uh, why don't you guys do me a favor? Tell me who you are and how we can get in contact with you guys. Why don't, okay. Bill, you go well, first. Yeah, sure. William Watson, Bill Watson at Immaculata. And the uh, best way to reach me is uh, via the uh, university at uh, wwatson at immaculata.edu. And there's a Duffy's Cut website here. That is http duffyscut.immaculata.edu, and we have a you know website with uh, archived information and uh, way to reach us. Perfect. Let Joe go for it. Great, uh, Joe Modestine. Uh, easiest way to reach me is on the brewery website, uh, DoylestownBrewingCompany.com. If you Google uh, Doylestown Brewing, we pop right up. Um, and then we have a bunch of links on there. Uh, we actually have our own Duffy's Cut page where you can actually pre-order uh, the beer uh, or uh, a contact page, which will uh, email me directly. So, um, so that's the best way. Perfect. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get you guys on is because we're obviously – we. Bill, you and I had spoken about two months ago. Um, my brother reached out to me uh, because my brothers were involved in doing a documentary about Duffy's Cut. Mm-hmm. So how, yeah. did you, how did you and my brothers get connected? Yeah, it's a small world, you know, um, you know Delaware Valley kind of story. And your dad got his uh, PhD in education from Immaculata. Right. I believe he was the uh, source of information for Tim, your brother. And, and Mike, your other brother, and uh, they, they're interested in, you know, trying to tell the story uh, to a wider audience. And uh, so that's that's how it all came together. And, of course, you being a celebrity chef, you know, and, and, and I had uh, briefly had your acquaintance back in the days when I was bagpiping at Downey's yeah. and you were the head chef. And uh, <laughs> another small world sort of story. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And then you're actually uh, a girl who plays the drum with you guys is my ex-wife's best friend. Yeah, exactly. So it's just and, and, yeah. crazy world. world. Yeah, Absolutely. it's unbelievable. And then Joe, now, now Joe, how did you get, how did you come? Well, first off, let's do this. Joe, I want to get to you in just in one sec. So, Bill, why don't you tell us a, a quick idea of what Duffy's Cut is? Right, Duffy's Cut is a mass grave, okay, and it dates from 1832. 57 Irishmen, average age was 22, uh, just off the boat from Ulster, uh, the uh, Donegal, Derry, Tyrone uh, area of, of Ulster, and they were hired to build a mile of rail line under a man named Philip Duffy, who was himself an Irish immigrant. And within six to eight weeks of arriving here, they were all dead, uh, dead uh, according to the traditional story of cholera. But it was a lot more than cholera. The first uh, ones we know were actually murdered in a time when um, there was a great fear of cholera, great fear of immigrants. Anti-Catholicism was rampant. Anti-Irish attitudes in the nativist movement that was getting underway uh, rampant throughout the United States. And it's probably just the tip of the iceberg, but it's probably one of the only stories 
where names of victims can can be found out. And it's, again, a lot of coincidences uh, with that as well, that the uh, documents that are the, really the only contextual evidence that the story happened to have ended up in my family. Uh, my grandfather got them from the man who assembled them in 1909, who my grandfather worked for, uh, who eventually rose to uh, Martin Clement, who was the man who assembled it, to become the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad. And then there's all this... Um, levels of secrecy to keep the information out of the general public because it was bad uh, propaganda, you know, bad sure. uh, news uh, for the railroads. Wow. And, uh, so we found out about it just, you know, but my brother showed me this file in the year 2002. And I said, my goodness, the uh, cover of the file has, uh, you know, location geographically right near where I work. And I said, wow, this is something we've got to start <laughs> investigating. And then one thing leads to another, to another, to another. Now we, you know, we excavated seven skeletons, and there's another fifty to go. Wow. So now, and what is the reasoning? Why is it Duffy's cut again? Yeah, Duffy. Philip Duffy was the contractor, so he's okay. the he's the man who the place takes its name from. It's a toponym, as we would say, named after this guy who who was a very successful contractor. Uh, came over in 1798, the year of the United Irishmen Revolt. Um, Got his citizenship in 1813 during the War of 1812 because he's anti-British, of course. And right. uh, the uh, the story of his life is an interesting one unto itself. But he is the guy who brought them here and would have been unable to have prevented what we presume to be a massacre. Because, again, the violence that was done to these men with no apparent signs of uh, defensive wounds. I mean, they were probably tied up before they were killed, uh, right. fitting into a, a pattern of anti-Irish, anti-Catholic sentiment that was beginning to sweep the country. You know, it would later develop into the Know Nothing movement and, you know, really be anti-immigrant, anti-Irish, anti-Catholic in the years ahead. And Duffy himself, well, he was a Catholic. We know that. Uh, we know he was buried up at uh, St. Anne's eventually in Port Richmond. And that he was a purveyor of his countrymen to the railroad and, and to other endeavors. Uh, he was... Uh, you know, uh, a guy who made money doing what he did he was an effective contractor, but it, unfortunately at the site that is named for him, Duffy's Cut. And a cut is a gouging out of the landscape to lay a track as flat as possible. Right. You know, he, he left behind 57 of his countrymen and um, basically disassociated himself from the story within a few years of the event and went on to get a lot of other contracts. Ended up dying a very wealthy man at age 88. Whereas the average age of the guys who are buried oh in the fill with Duffy's cut were twenty was twenty two, right? And they had they were the poorest of the poor. They had nothing with them. Their story would have been completely forgotten if railroaders hadn't preserved the story in folklore. And then, you know, the uh, the team that we assembled, uh, beginning in two thousand and two, you know, through two thousand and twelve, we we excavated seven skeletons with the University of Pennsylvania's museum. Janet Monge, the uh, physical anthropologist working with my brother Frank and, and me and, and just you know, an amazing assortment of, of people who helped us. But we're stuck now. There's another 50 bodies down there. It's outrageous yeah. you know, that we weren't able to, to get to them yet. And, and that's what we hope to do. And how is it that, that and, and this is on Immaculata's campus or just off? It's very close. Yeah, it's very close to the campus. It's, it's at a, a site that is about a minute by car from the office. On, uh, part of it is on private property and part of it is on railroad land. Okay. And um, we did the work, all the work that could be done on the private land, and now we've got to get to work under the stone monument visible from the tracks on Amtrak land. Really? 
And how so? And what is the initial thought as to how these guys died? Originally, yes, it was the cholera. But as you guys started to exhume seven bodies, you guys then found musket wounds. I mean, basically, musket yeah. holes in the brain. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, they were. They all died, according to Janet Monge, by perimortem violence. At his time of death, violence. Okay. which uh, goes against the theory that the railroad is floating, that they all died of cholera. You know, it's bad right. business, you know, to, to have this get out to the general public. Uh, they can't recruit more cheap Irish labor from Ireland if it's uh, found out that they were all, uh, you know, that there was such an anti-Irish sentiment that workers risked their life to, to come over here. And for the first time in their lives, by the way, to, to make a salary, they were, there was no chance for these guys in Ireland at that time <clears throat> as Catholic sure. laborers to earn a salary. What they did was they worked for absentee landlords on farms and um, made no profit themselves except for the, you know, the meager food that they could grow for their families. Right. This was the, the golden opportunity for these guys. And unfortunately they all ended up dead. We want to exhume them all from the ignominious place where they're buried. Now they didn't get proper burials really at the time. Even the guys who we found who were in coffins were sealed with about a hundred nails to conceal the bloody mess inside. Oh my God. Buried, and, in the fill, yeah, with about 100 nails per, per coffin lid so that they couldn't be pried open. And the guys who were still alive at the time that the first seven were murdered uh, would not have known that those guys were murdered off-site because our theory is that they escaped. The railroad file indicates that they escaped and were forced back into the valley and that um, the, there would have been a riot, you know, had the guys who were still healthy burying them at the time had found out that they were murdered. And so it was concealed. And later on, this becomes the common custom all along the rail line. You bury men in the fill where they were working at the time. And there's an right. old railroad song, you know, saying that, bury me in the fill. And this was the first case of that in the history of the United States. This is, and it's Pennsylvania's first railroad. There's a lot of historical significance here. And it's right. a line that still runs to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the main line. That's where we live in yeah, that case. Exactly. They died building something important. Now, how did how does it I mean, how how, how much research had you done from 2002 until when was the when was really the, the area found where these yeah, guys were? 2009. Yeah, that way it was seven, seven, seven years um, you know, uh, we, 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 we'd uh, gotten permission when we got this historical marker, which itself was a battle, I will say that, and a battle far greater than it should have been. We had a lot of governmental assistance, people uh, pulling for us at a, at a petition with thousands of signatures to get that marker. But we got it, 2004, and uh, we got permission from the state to dig uh, at that point. But nobody thought we were going to find anything. You know, we, we, it took a while to get the kind of help that we needed. Right. We, we would eventually get uh, a, a man from the University of Pennsylvania, and now he's at um, uh, out in Lancaster. Uh, I think he's at Elizabethtown uh, right now. Uh, Tim Bechtel, who is a, uh, a, a geologist, not just a guy who runs a, a GPR uh, machine, but a guy who's a geologist and he read this soil. And he says, "What right. you guys are looking for?" He told us this to know. Oh, well, I guess when I was around 08, you know, that we started, you know, plotting out in the valley where he might be able to find these guys. A stopping void where a skeleton, somebody was buried and collapses down to the bottom as the body decomposes and leaves an uneven layer of soil above it so that when the radar bounces down 
it gives a certain indication, a signal to him on his machine that that is a hollow space where there's something at the bottom. Where the body is, you know, just basically decomposed. And 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 uh, he had found skeletons before, from before the revolution, the French and Indian War sites out in the western part of Pennsylvania. So he was the man. Right. And March March 20th of 2009, we found the first skeleton. Two of my student dig crew guys came running over to me, holding. What was obviously a human bone? Well, it looked to us to be obviously a human bone. We had took it. We took it to our biology department here. Right. And once we, he says for sure that this is a human. It was a, uh, uh, a tibia. We called the, um, the the state police. Um, we called uh, the county coroner, the county district attorney. All that wow. had been set up way back in '04. Sure. And so we did it according to all the, um, you know, the standards that were required from there on out to to. Uh, to excavate the rest of these bodies. We had a deputy coroner with us. We had uh, cops with us as we were doing it. And um, we got seven skeletons out from 09 until uh, right before the burials at West Laurel Hill Cemetery, which is the cemetery that agreed to take them. Wow. Uh, by, you know, by February of 2012, in March 2012, we buried five at West Laurel Hill, and then we took two back to Ireland, who miraculously we were able to identify from the ship list. The Pennsylvania Railroad file says when the ship arrived, there's one single ship in that time frame that carried the man. It's called the John Stamp, sailed out of the port of Derry, uh, John Young was the captain, pulled into Philadelphia uh, after a three-month journey, left uh, Terry oh in April, God. got to Philadelphia in June, went through a quarantine station, so we know those guys were healthy when they got here. There was sure. no one on that ship who had cholera, right. but as soon as they get here, every immigrant at that time is blamed with uh, the, you know, for bringing the disease in with them. So these guys were vilified when the disease began to hit the, the, the locale around here, but they didn't bring it with them. They, they died because of someone else's uh, responsibility bringing the disease into the area, and 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 they didn't even have it. Right. And, and so the first seven we know were murdered. I mean, the story that they had cholera. I wouldn't be surprised if none of them had cholera. It would. It wouldn't be out of the uh, the norm here. Say if the uh, maybe half the crew died of cholera or whatever. But I'm pretty sure that more than just those seven got murdered. Right. Now, and, and I mean, is there a way for to be able to tell whether or not there was cholera involved through DNA testing and and all of that at this point? And unfortunately, the cholera goes through the body so quickly that it won't leave any sign. But I will say this: if we find skeletons with no signs of blunt force trauma, like the first then, seven, sure. and the man with the bullet, you know, right, he was buried with the bullet still in the skull, then we will know that you know that those people probably, you know, odds and percentages died of cholera. But the the, uh, the the couple important things here that that fill that the men were buried in didn't exist before the the construction of the railroad. So these aren't Battle of Paoli burials or not Native American burials. Those are right. the Irish, but they're the only people ever buried at that spot. Wow. And that we know that the that the uh, railroad began. Uh, telling a, a separate story to the public right after this that oh, it was only eight or nine who died those are the guys who were brought back in coffins and nobody could deny died there sure. but they began you know telling a different story to the public while internally this is really important it, every single document from the, the the first railroad which is the Philadelphia and Columbia that's the one they were building through the days of the Pennsylvania Railroad said that it was 57 guys and in in the early part of 1833 the chief engineer William Mitchell said that Duffy lost half of his crew at that spot in the previous year. 
half of a, a crew is about 60 guys because the average crew is about 120 men per mile. Right. Some of the men at the cut were working up top, and they escaped. They probably weren't, uh, the, you know, they didn't come directly from Ireland. They might have been Irish-Americans. They might have been other locals, but they right. fled. It was the men in the valley who were the perfect victims here, and every one of them died. Wow. It's, un- I, it's I mean, it's just unfathomable to think about the fact that, you know, I mean— it, I mean, 57 human beings who are working are, are, are were just disappeared. I mean, yeah, I mean at that point, and we're just family. Yeah, Nobody I mean, no, and literally, Nobody they were here by themselves. You know, yep, I mean, yep. they came over for a better life. That's amazing. Hey, is, does somebody, Joe? Do you have your window open or something, or, or, or Bill? Do you have yours? No, I'm in the office. Uh, Oh, okay. I've been on the highway doing stuff delivery. Oh, there we go. Good, man. So, and, and everybody, everybody, real quick, this is Joe. And Joe's from Doylestown um, Brewery. So, Joe, how did you get involved in all this? Well, um, I was watching a documentary. Uh, I'm not sure which one it was, either the History Channel or Smithsonian. Right. And I'm a history buff and uh, really got intrigued with the story. Um, the R5 line, uh, we're known for the R5 logger. So, um, so that, that stretch of, uh, track is actually the old R5 line. Right. Um, and so we have, so, and real quick, everybody, everybody to give you an idea. We, we live in an area outside of Philadelphia that's called the main line. So the main line has two, two kind of runs that happen through. And the R five is the main train line that runs from Philadelphia to the Western suburbs of Philadelphia. So, so what would happen back then is they were cutting the line out there, which was the initial first train line, which is known as the R five. So that's what Joe's talking about. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so, so we make the R5 logger. I'm watching the documentary on, on the story, and I thought it would be a real interesting um, uh, idea to actually, you know, uh, make a beer um, and, and, you know, pay respects to the, to the process and, um, uh, and, and kind of tie it into the R5. Uh, so the ironic story is, and once again, small world, my neighbor is a professor at Immaculata College. Um, okay. So I knocked on her door and asked her, I said, hey, you know this, this guy named Bill Watson? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't. I said, would you ask him if I could do a beer? Because I didn't want to do it just to do it. I wanted to get permission. I wanted to, first of all, make sure that it, you know, it wasn't something that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and, but uh, she reached out to Bill, and Bill said we would love the idea. So we started this well over five years ago and, and started making beer and doing events for the guys, you know, to try and uh, help raise money for uh, for the cause and, and more importantly, even awareness. There's so many people that don't know the story. Oh, and when I tell people, it's, I mean, people can't believe the story in itself. It tells the story on the can. It's, it's a fitting tribute. It's, the logo on there was created by a bunch of police officers back when they helped us get the uh, historical marker. Um, from the Chester County Emerald Society, Bob McAllister, still with us, working, you know, in the core of our team, actually went over with 
the remains of the one woman we excavated in 2015, Catherine Burns. But the 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 uh, beer can has a logo of the of the tracks of the railroad and the Celtic Cross and number 57. It's beautiful design, and and uh, what Joe did with the uh, the can is absolutely first rate. Tells the story. It's and and you know it's not in any way, shape, or form disrespectful. You know these men at the time didn't drink water. Nobody drank water in, in, in pre-modern times because it was contaminated. In fact, that's how people got cholera, if they did drink water. They weren't teetotalers. There's no question about that. And it is it is an appropriate way to get the story out to more people, and it's an, an opportunity for us to finally secure some kind of funding because the brewery very generously has agreed to donate a portion of the proceeds to the dig. It's something we've, we have not had a regular source of, 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 of money coming in because everything costs money, whether it's the ground penetrating radar, removal of trees, the actual excavating machines that we need. And, and the, and the crew, you know, that is, has donated their time over the years, you know, even feeding the crew, the main, uh, expenses we had when we were getting the, the first seven bodies up was to get pizza for the dig crew. Most of them were my students. Right. And those guys worked. They were the average age of the guys who were digging. The average age of the guys working with me, my students, same age on average as the men who died at Duffy's Cut. And believe me, they were aware of that at the time. If it wasn't for time and circumstance, it would have been them. It would have right. been me. It would have been you. Sure. It would have been any of us. Well, and it's so funny when we initially, when you and I got on the phone that one day and we started to talk and you said, you know, these are, these are our brothers. Yeah. And, and these are our countrymen. And I was like, man, ta- you know, like Irish Catholic guilt dropped right in front of me, you know, <laughs> literally on my lap. And I'm like, I got to do I got to do something about this. So so right. to give everybody an understanding, my father was a history buff. My father was a very intelligent man, three masters, and he got his doctorate at Immaculata College. And I always remembered my father talking about about Duffy's cut. And, and I grew up in a house where history was so important to all of us because my father was a history buff. My father did our, our, our genealogy. You talk about new Orleans. My, uh, one of our, our, our uncles, um, father Duffy actually was, used to build, uh, he basically built homeless shelters in new Orleans, you know, for the Irish and the poor in that community during time. So, there's so much of that history that, that kind of rings forward for all of us. And, and the idea that, that, you know, I mean, I, I was, we, I was told we were second, third, fourth class citizens, you know, when we were brought over into this country and we were in, in, in so many ways slaves, you know, when, when we had come over and everything that went through with that. So my interest in that was, is so deep. And then for my brothers to get involved and then to get that email and, and Joe, I love what you're doing because one, it's a great way to do things. You know, I mean, I, I mean, look, the big joke is that the Irish drink. Hey, we're no strangers to having a couple of cocktails. I'm not going to lie. But so for me, my big thing to get involved was not just for this one portion of it. I mean, you know, Bill, I've mentioned it to you. Whatever I can do moving forward is something that's very important to me. And I want to continue to talk about the story. But but I want everybody to know right now, if you you know, the interest that's put in this, and I'm just going to do it the same way that, that Bill did it to me. This is our countrymen. These are guys that were brought over to work, you know, to get a better life. And they were murdered. You know, and there's and the, 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 the conspiracy behind it is all through there. The story's out there to be told somewhere. And, uh, uh, you know, that's ultimately going to come forward. It, there's no doubt about that. It, these things can't be locked and sealed away forever. But at this point right now, I want everybody to stop what you're doing real fast. 
And I want you to go over to, just go to Google and type in Duffy's Cut. Okay, and there's a page there that's Immaculata. <clears throat> I'm going to give you the site real quick because I want you guys to donate. And it's simple. Everybody donate two bucks. That's all I'm asking for is two dollars. Okay, if you guys do that, we can raise a boatload of money. You want to donate more? I love it. If you're Irish Catholic and your grandmother's staring down upon you and she's giving you the evil eye, she's telling you to donate more, do it. Okay, but go to Duffy's Cut. You can go right over there. It's duffyscut.immaculata.edu. As soon as you go there, you'll see a page for donation. Click on that page and just do a donation. It's all I ask is do that. If not, God will strike down upon thee. One of the big issues that I see in restaurants these days is the point of sale system, man. I mean, look, we're talking about the calculator that tracks all your sales and everything that goes through it. Sometimes it's just a struggle for people to get involved in it. Other times it's about difficulty tracking data or you know, not taking the days off or spending way too much time on a POS, way too much money on a POS that just doesn't work. For anyone who doesn't know, a POS is a point of sale system. It's what we use in restaurants to track our sales, okay? And did you know that the average user, the average owner only uses about 10% of a total POS system? That's absolutely crazy. They use it as a calculator, basically, to track the sales. They don't dig deeper into it, okay? Cake is a point-of-sale system that lets bar and restaurant owners focus on the guest experience, which is why we're in this industry, taking care of the guests. Without the guests, you're not making any money, man. Stop worrying about tracking every single sale. Cake does all of that for you. A full-fledged POS system, you can actually save the information and review it later from anywhere, okay? It means you can actually take a day off, which is pretty rare in the restaurant business. Now, no matter where you are, you can check in on the daily reports and know that they're going to be up to date. All right. To get started with cake, all you guys have to do is go to trycake.com forward slash Duffy and get your own slice of cake. All right. For our podcast listeners, you guys are able to get $750 off of the activation fee. It's a 75% discount. And with that discount, you get a user-friendly POS, also known as a point-of-sale system, that includes cloud reporting and world-class 24-7 support. 24-7 support, okay? So here's the deal. Restaurant owners, go to trycake.com Duffy and take a look. Cake makes it that easy what joe is doing is joe has developed this beer and joe you know what's really funny is the last time that i drank an irish red ale i was about 19 years old and i drank six <laughs> pitchers of it and i unfortunately don't drink much of the red ale anymore but i'm gonna tell you that i had a can the other night and i loved it and i actually brined up some uh, really nice chicken that i had gotten and i brined it up and then i just did a nice simple sauce and salt and pepper and i grilled it up and it was awesome so it's a, yep. it's a, it's a great beer it's got a tremendous flavor um so for anybody who wants to get these if you live in pennsylvania you can reach out to doylestown brewery directly okay and on their page you can go right through and you can see the whole story um as i'm looking at the page right now um you know it talks about ordering the can releases were done on january 30th there's a whole bunch of info in here for duffy's cut project the smithsonian the washington post the oldest irish newspaper books that are on amazon videos the whole nine yards go and ch check out this beer get it because for every case that you guys buy 
Doylestown Beverage or Doylestown Brewery is going to donate $5 per case. If you want to buy a keg and you want to keep it in your house, go for it. You can do that as well. And that's at, um, you can, and they donate $20 a keg. Now, the thing that I'm going to ask everybody to do is I want you to go, if you live in Pennsylvania, I want you to talk to every single bar owner that you know, and I want you to tell them to get this beer in house right now. I've already contacted a whole bunch of my guys, my restaurant friends. I've reached out to the Pennsylvania Restaurant Association to make it known through them. I've reached out to food service companies. We, our goal is to raise $50,000. We've got to exhume the last 50 bodies that are over there. We've got to get some stuff done about this. So that's uh, that's the the pitch part that I have for anybody who's listening. So now, now, Bill, for you, how you and I were talking the other day and you were talking about there was some form of vigilante group that was involved. Yeah, this uh, this particular spot, this is mile 59 of the Philadelphia Columbia, even though it's 22.3 miles on Amtrak uh, from Philadelphia, the, the miles were measured from Columbia on the Susquehanna West, you know, like a county way. Um, so the, this mile, we know who owned the property. They had to sign a contract with the state saying that they were going to put up a fence there. The, the Pratt family, <clears throat> they ran something called the East Whiteland Horse Company. And there were horse companies around in the U.S. throughout the 1800s, most commonly uh, thought of out west, you know, where vigilantes uh, get cattle rustlers or horse thieves, you know. Right. They were operating here in Pennsylvania and, and in Chester County at that time, which was kind of like the Wild West at that time in the 1830s. Um, this group uh, was the law. And there really wasn't any they, – they were there was no constable. So they were local families. Um, we tend to think of Chester County as really heavily Quaker, but the, these guys uh, came from Ulster Orange background for the most part, including the Pratts. Uh, and, you know, you know the, the, the uh, bloodletting in the 60s to the 90s called the Troubles in, in Ireland had to do with, you know, orange versus green. Uh, right. You know, uh, you know, the UVF versus the uh, Provos. And... Um, you know, that was going on in Philadelphia at that time. The year before Duffy's Cut, there was a, an Orangeman parade through an Irish Catholic neighborhood banging a drum. And the Irish Catholics over here said, hey, we're not taking that. We're not in Ireland. And there was a riot. And um, wow. the Irish will fight back, you know, in this time period. And we expect some of the men at Duffy's Cut, not the ones who were tied up and murdered at first, probably the later ones, did fight back. And, and that's why they were all killed, you know. Right. And you never get 100% casualties in, in cholera. That's one of the things that interested the police uh, when we started out here, that the you know, Chester County Emerald Society cops helped us hugely because they, they knew that there was never a 100% casualty rate for a disease like cholera. It's usually 50%. So they made sure this group that everyone was going to die here. And I, I've heard from people, first of all, the local judge, his name was uh, Cromwell Pierce at the time uh, that this was an operation. Uh, he was uh, from a family that was proud of being orange Irish. Now, know. Bill, can you explain orange and green to everybody real quick? Yeah, the orange are, are Protestant Irish um, who uh, traditionally uh, saw the Irish Catholic green Irish as subhuman. And uh, there's a, a famous book called Apes and Angels, depictions of Irish Catholics at the time in, in, in Britain, which controlled Ireland at that time. And in the United States, they, the Irish were seen as subhuman. And that is the explanation for you know why the UVF and the UDA, the Protestant paramilitaries, were killing innocent Catholics in the 1960s through the 1990s in Northern Ireland because they, did, they, weren't, they wanted them dead. They wanted them out, you know? And, right. and Ulster 
was a was a Protestant colony, you know, of the uh, of the British uh, Empire, and there's still Catholics, you know, who stayed there, and they were the victims of this of this operation. And, and the provost were retaliating, protecting their community from the incursions of these these hate mongers. Well, that 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 existed in the U.S. at the time too. Right. Large organizations were still around when I started bagpiping in the 1980s, in the early 1980s. There were people. I'm part Scottish and part Irish. Watson and Donnelly, and uh, so I'm, you know, in Scottish organizations. I am a member of the AOH as well, and in the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick, and a former board member there. And and I've seen all sides. I've seen it all. And there were still orange entities in the U.S. in the in the 1980s that were very consciously in operation. Now they're underground since the Good Friday Agreement, since it's become um, less fashionable to be militant, you know, in that in that way. Right. They've gone underground. They're still here. They <clears> pop up every now and then. They popped up in Tyrone in uh, St. Patrick's Church in 2015 when the congregation had a wake for Catherine Burns, the 28-year-old female. Catherine Burns is the uh, approximately 30-year-old female we excavated at Duffy's Cut, and that uh, age was determined by um, Janet Monge down at the University of Pennsylvania Museum. And that's important because there's a, a woman who was among the, the, the crew. She would have been a cook and a laundress, and she was the daughter-in-law of one of the Duffy's Cut dead male workers. Wow. And um, her husband <coughs> presumably died over here, and that's probably why she came with the father-in-law, the father of the dead husband, you know, trying to find him and, you know, compound the whole tragedy. She ends up dying at Duffy's Cut. She was also murdered. She was one of the murder victims. Wow. And um, we, we found out, you know, um, the age. We said, okay, there's one person on our ship list, and it's the only person in the entire world this could be. It's Catherine Burns. She's from Tyrone. And we uh, were able to get her back into a grave, uh, thanks to... Um, the help of Father Benny Fee at St. Patrick's Church in um, uh, the county of her birth. And so we arranged this and we took her over there. And they, the, the parish was unbelievably supportive. Uh, they even great. held a wake for her. Everybody's a musician over there. Everybody came out and there was <laughs> amazing music and they had a, a you know, dram of whiskey for everybody. And an orange woman showed up at this wake. And now I was up in the front bagpiping with some of the other guys. And uh, one of our guys, Earl Shandemeyer, who was in a kilt, however, but he's of German extraction, who does look Irish. But anyway, he was in the back, and she <laughs> harangued him and harangued him and harassed him and said, why are you doing this, stirring up old problems, you know? And, and it's, it's, it was characteristic of things that I had heard at talks uh, to history uh, groups. I've done probably a 1,000 talks since 2003, 2004, and occasionally you get someone standing up and saying, well, didn't they deserve it? It, you know, is, isn't it a mercy killing? Well, first of all, mercy killing should be more merciful. You don't bludgeon them over right, the head exactly. and shoot them. And, you know, in the case of the, this one tall guy, he got an axe blow and then a bullet fired over directly top of his skull. Uh, <laughs> no, these weren't mercy killings. And, and no, they didn't deserve it. You know, but this is the kind of sentiment that is still sort of subterranean. You know, I don't want to be... Um, you know, too, uh, hit, hit this too hard over the head, but we've only had one Irish Catholic president and he was assassinated. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, everybody loves Bono. People go to see Bono and everything, but there's still something among a segment of the population. I got a call out of the blue here in the office when I was in the office grading late one day uh, five years ago from a guy who said that he was 
a descendant of someone in the East Whiteland Horse Company. And of course, I went, really? Okay. Um, and he said he wanted to do something right because he knew his ancestor had done something wrong at Duffy's Cut. And he knew that the uh, descendant society, like if you imagine that there's like, I don't know, like a DAR type thing for the uh, members of the East Whiteland Horse Company. They gather once a year uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and have a dinner somewhere. And he said that the organization still, the Descendant Society has uh, an incident report in their files and a list of all the members. And he wanted to open that up for us and he wanted to do something good. And I wow. said, well, this is a miracle. This would be amazing, you know? And I didn't hear from him by January. And I called him up and I said, hey, um, you know, I'm just kind of curious. Everybody's really into this. It would be really nice if, if we could pull this off. Can, can you open up the files? And he says, no, they closed ranks. They were afraid of a lawsuit from collateral descendants of the Irishman back in Ireland. And I'm like, wow, how about that? Um, wow. You know, there's, we can't force them to open their records, but it would be nice if someone has the, the wherewithal to think, hey, you know, this would help a lot of people in Ireland whose genealogies have a hole in it. Sure. No, nobody's going to know. I mean, nobody reached out to those families when these young men died. Nobody over there knew what happened to them. There were a few um, ads in the village record, the local newspaper, asking periodically, you know, uh, over the next uh, several years, do you know what happened to, you know, X, Y, or Z, people or their relatives who, who vanished over here? And I really think this is the tip of the iceberg, as I say. We have another uh, mass grave that's connected to Duffy's Cut. One of the men ran down to mile uh, 48, 11 miles uh, to the west of Duffy's Cut in Downingtown, and they infected an entire other crew. All those guys died. Uh, a contractor named Peter Connor, who also vanished, as he may be one of the victims, and the bodies were buried in what will later become Northwood Cemetery. We're about to start work there as well, and it's circle really? back to the cut. And, and uh, you know, if an entire crew died there, if it's an entire crew, that's another 120 names. There's an Irish uh, canal workers crew 13 miles northwest of here that died all together as well during the epidemic at um, present day, it's in Spring City, at present day East Vincent Mennonite Cemetery. We haven't even wow. approached them yet. We have the permission from Northwood to do core samples, GPR and core samples there, but we haven't approached the other cemetery. I really think that everywhere we go, on the East here, there's mass casualty sites, and, and it, it blackthorned the band. You know, and their song uh, about uh, Duffy's Cut said that um, you know, every, under every mile of track lies an Irishman. I think it's a couple Irishmen. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And then, so, and there's no, I mean, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about murder. I mean, and there's no police recourse or nothing that the police can do to get those files pulled. You know, it's really interesting, uh, Brian. We have um, we have a lot of support from the Emerald Society Police, and again, Bob McAllister, one of the guys who has been with us from the beginning. You know, he's there with us to the end. Um, the the, uh, the the reality is, you can't force this. Uh, there, there's no statute of limitations on murder, but okay. there's no one alive today who can be prosecuted for it, and they they can't force the issue. The the big miracle has been that um, IBEW members of, of Amtrak. Um, Pierce Kerr, who's a legend in the, in the Delaware Valley Irish community, he was a victim of the troubles when he went back to visit his family. He was almost killed in a British prison. He's an IBEW leader, 
and he came on board and has gotten Amtrak to turn around. Because we, in the beginning here, man, 03, 04, nobody except the cops, and the cops could only do so much, you know. Right. We did bring in the coroner and the um, the coroner and the district attorney. So we, what we were doing was we had all the legalities. But as far as like getting all this extra stuff, getting the bodies out from, from under the stone monument, how can this be that there's another 50 bodies there and, and we can't get them out? It's outrageous. Right. That's uh, that's just it's it's amazing. So hey Joe, Joe, are you still on? Yes. Joe, can you do us a favor and tell us tell tell everybody how they can get either beer if they're in Pennsylvania or somewhere else, and and also you know what you guys are doing for this. Sure. Yeah. Um, the anybody uh, in the state of Pennsylvania can receive the beer. Um, obviously, with the this, this state laws and and being able to deliver um, beer or sell beer across state lines, you need um, other wholesalers yeah. um, to be involved. Uh, so we're working right now with Cleveland. Um, I'm trying to get a hold of Michigan, and the reason why I'm saying these these locations is because these are the locations that have been contacting us. Okay. Um, San Diego, um, as wow. well as in Washington State um, and Texas. Uh, I basically have gotten emails uh, or phone calls from all over the country. Okay. Um, so it's just the, the navigation process of, of getting the wholesaler in place um, so that we can actually ship. Um, right. So, uh, uh, and then in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, the nice thing about it is if we don't have a wholesaler, we can self-distribute. Um, so, uh, but the nice thing is we have a Pittsburgh distributor already lined up, um, oh, good. and we're making arrangements to deliver beer out to there for the Western County so that they can, they can pick it up from that end. So, um, P- Pittsburgh, yeah. you guys need to step up, man. It's time. <laughs> Neither one of us went to the Super Bowl this year. You guys got to do something out there. So now we're all brothers again. All right. Yins yeah, better take they- care of this. They just beat our butt the other night in hockey. So yeah, they owe us one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so that, and then you guys are donating $5 per case and 20 bucks for every keg that sells. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so our, our first uh, batch is, is just about gone. Uh, We'll be canning again, probably within two weeks. Um, and then uh, canning again a couple weeks after that. So, um, so basically, the beer is just on a constant uh, uh, brew cycle, um, and then you know, getting the word out and and you know, delivering. Um, I'm actually um, on my way right now to Kunda Beverage and King of Russia to drop oh, nice. off to those folks. So every day, I'm pretty much driving somewhere, uh, delivering beer for someone. Um, and yeah, the five dollars a case. Um, yeah, it, it we. Um, the, the distributors, the, the folks that are getting involved, that they don't have to do the donation portion of it just by buying the case. We made it easy that way and just put the flat number on it um, so that we can donate that money right back to the foundation. Um, it keeps it easy for the, you know, especially when you have wholesalers involved and, and third party uh, delivering uh, right. uh, companies involved. So, so. Everybody's got to go. And if you're in Pennsylvania, make it really simple. Reach out to Doylestown, grab their beer. Um, Joe, I would actually love to know uh, some dates of when you're canning because I'd love if I'm home, I'd love to come out. 
um, oh, that'd be and awesome. just, yeah, and just see that, that process. And, you know, I'd love to share the process with people, people, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who've never seen beer canned before. So, I mean, that, that in itself is a pretty neat thing. So I'd love to, to come out and check that out. So, you know, we can talk afterwards. I'd love to get some dates out there. Um, for anybody who, who is interested, I mean, and, and Bill, I, I want to continue with you in a second, but Joe, I'm sure you've got a bunch to do. So I just wanted to get that stuff out there, but so go to Doylestown brewery, go to their website. Literally it's a huge page. It says Duffy's cut right up top. It's, it's a, it's a great homage to the fact that this has happened and that you guys are doing that. I think it's absolutely wonderful that we can get, that somebody can get involved in that way. I know I posted it on my Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and there's been a really nice response. So if anybody wants, you can go to my Facebook page, which is chef Brian Duffy. You can check that out right there. And right up top is the link for you guys to do a donation. So again, do a couple of donations. Do it through my site. Do it through Duffy's. Do it through buying beer, whatever it works out to be. But you can donate the beer through there. It goes directly to Duffy's Cut. Trying to exhume the last 50 bodies. And then, Bill, you just said that you guys are talking about there's another stretch 13 miles up the road that you're saying you guys are going to start doing some some research up there as well. So this could be a whole nother round of this? Yeah, really. Yeah, it's... it's um it's crazy. Downingtown, Northwood Cemetery, the board has approved that we do uh, ground penetrating radar and core samples to locate this spot where the original Potter's Field was, where these guys were buried back in 1832. Because the same right. family. Right, no Potter's Field, that, yeah. Yeah, they had the property in 1832. We know from the railroad contracts, you know, who owned the land there. Those same families incorporated Northwood Cemetery around 1872 because they had, um, you know, the place where their bodies, they couldn't do anything with the land. <clears throat> so they created a cemetery. That spot, though, is a rectangle with graves facing it, but no graves within it. And, um, yeah, so we, 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 you know, our geologist says it'll be a slam dunk. Then we're going to get across there somehow, you know, to commemorate that crew. Right. I don't think we'll ever get names there. You know, it won't be like a Duffy's Cut where we, we know when the ship arrived and we know exactly you know the uh, the circumstances and, and and where they were from but that that is another we know the contractor's name uh, peter connor that's another example though of what we're talking about that happened at duffy's cut another group of irishmen all but forgotten uh that whose whose uh, story might be told now uh, after you know, i mean we're, we're coming close to 200 years yeah that's right? what we're, shocks me yeah yeah. I mean, and is there is there I mean, it let's let's just say that there are an additional round of bodies that are found at this 13 mile stretch. Could this ultimately be escalated in some way to be the I mean, you're saying this is the largest mass burial site in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, here's the thing. This is crazy, Brian. This could at Duffy's cut if we find out that everyone was murdered. And I don't know that they all were murdered. Some of them could have died of cholera. You know, it could have been the first ones were murdered. Then sure. A bunch of guys died of cholera, and the guys at the end were murdered. But I guarantee you, if the first seven were all murdered, that there's going to be others as well. It could be t- potentially the worst, uh, the biggest mass murder site in Pennsylvania. And I got to tell you, the other thing that's crazy here, when you talk about numbers of people who died in the cholera epidemic in 1832, and there's historians who just do, you know, social history of disease, they call it, right. and whole departments, you know, s- specialize in the history and sociology of science. Uh, the thing is that the, in the history of disease, this is one of the biggest 
global pandemics, they call it. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's as big, you know, <clears throat> globally as, as practically any disease ever that there's, it emanates, you know, out of a certain area and spreads across the globe. And in the U S theoretically about 900 people died. Well, uh, or 10,000, excuse me. And in Pennsylvania, they say in the Philadelphia area, about 900, 10,000 in Pennsylvania, 900 in Pennsylvania, hundreds of thousands around the world. But, this, and that's, believe me, an understatement because most of these people never got recorded. That number of 900 for the Delaware Valley does not include the men at Duffy's Cut, does not include the men at Northwood, and does not include the men in Spring City. So all those guys, you're, you're, you're talking about potentially hundreds uh, more just at these sites. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, yeah, this is a fairly uh, common story throughout the United States along other rail lines where the Irishmen working canal lines where Irishmen are working right. and there are mass casualty sites everywhere. Wow. No wonder there's ghost stories. You know, there's ghost stories associated with this. Sure. From the beginning, within a month right. after the death of these men, uh, there were ghosts reported at that spot. And there's a consistent folklore all across, you know, the, the area there in, in Malvern, you know, close to where I am right now. Right. That, that says that there's, that they're not happy. They are un, uneasy, uh, uh, spirits floating around, and I think uh, you know the supernatural aspect, the folklore aspect. The railroaders are interested in it, and it's an Irish story. It touches so many uh, people in so many different ways. Have you have you had any sort of of supernatural? Anybody who's out there that that kind of reads supernatural or gets involved in any of the uh, ghost hunting, you know, kind of stuff that goes on? Has anybody been out to that site? Yeah, we, we actually, that, that's something, you know, on the academic side of things, we don't necessarily emphasize, but right. I don't have a problem talking about it because I know I saw something, okay, that <laughs> before I knew my brother even had this file, okay, uh, with my buddy Tom, Tom Connor, we're coming back from a bagpipe gig in the year 2000, at the same exact time that those condors were going up around the site of the mass grave, unbeknownst to me. Un, the file that my brother had, which was the only contextual evidence for this, was unbeknownst to me at the time. We played for a couple of Marine Corps uh, groups, uh, World War II, out in Lancaster at their banquet, right? Okay. The of, of World War II veterans coming back to Delaware County, and he had to go across the uh, bridge to Jersey. <clears throat> he wanted to make a stop, pit stop. I said, all right, got the campus right here, about halfway between Lancaster and my home. Open up the faculty center door. It's 10 o'clock at night. Nobody's walking around the campus. And he looks out a window and says, Billy, what am I looking at? And I went over and I looked at it. And it was three shimmering lights that reminded me, as well as him, of the transporter in the original Star Trek series. Cause wow. Star Trek geeks. And I said, I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, but as soon as we, we looked at it, I thought, well, wait a minute. Across the lawn, the gym is there. That's got to be someone's idea of lawn art. At the Philadelphia Art Museum, there's neon art. There used right. to be a section for neon art before you turned and went down towards the uh, the cafeteria and the restaurant and, and the bookstore, gift shop. And I said, that's what that is. It's somebody's idea of art. But as soon as I said that, they vanished. And he, he looked at me and I looked at him. And I believe me, I had, I had nothing to drink that night. He had some marine home brew, but not enough to make him drunk. <laughs> and we went outside. We went outside because, believe me, I know when he and I have been drunk. And that was not one of the occasions. We, we looked around, there was nothing there. And, and no one, if, if anyone had been trying to play a trick on us, they, they could, it would have to have been a Hollywood special effect. They could have pulled off what we saw. Well, I said, I don't know what the hell we saw. 
And, you know, for a couple of years, we just, you know, put it in the back of our minds. I, I did ask the old timers here at the time, hey, are there any stories of ghosts associated maybe with the Battle of the Clouds, a Revolutionary War battle that was fought on the campus here? They said, no, nobody's ever seen anything like that. I said, all right, forget about it. And then two years later, I took stuff from my mother's house up to my brother for my grandfather's career on the railroad. And I said, you take some of this in case something happens to me, it stays in the family. You know? right. And he said, ah, I've got something here. And it was this file. And, I said, and my eyes bugged out. Two things. First, the location. And I said, man, do you realize that's where I work? Because the file, railroad file cover says between Malvern and Fraser. That's right. where Macdolata is. Right. And he didn't realize, you know, where Immaculata was in conjunction with that file. He was interested in the file. But I don't, I don't have any recollection prior to that of ever having seen the file or even heard about it. And the second thing is I open it up, and it's a guy in September 1832. What Tom and I saw was September of uh, 2000. And the guy in the, in the railroad file reported seeing three ghosts dancing on their graves. He called them fiery figures. And immediately wow. my brain went, whoa, that's what Tom and I must have seen. No way. And after, you know, after, you know, I, he just, I called him immediately. I said, Tom, I called him as soon as I saw this file, I called him up on the phone. I said, Tom, I think I know what you and I saw a couple of years ago. And then um, that, that very semester brought my, my uh, grad school colleague, John Otez, in here to teach Irish history. Class I do now because unfortunately John is deceased. He died during the dig. Uh, curse of Duffy's kind of scenario. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the, the, uh, the idea that, that, um, that condos went up at that time, uh, you know, the exact month uh, right above in the cul-de-sac right above where the stone monument is, where the bulk of the bodies are, is crazy. The yeah. second thing was that in the old Catholic calendar, there was something called an ember night. You know, they don't emphasize it today, but an ember night, E-M-B-E-R, where spirits are thought to come out of purgatory to look for people to help them, to pray for them. And wow. John researched that and told me, John Otis, my buddy, I called, I called, told my brother, I said, Frankie, I think there's something supernatural here. I mean, there's no way in hell that this is just a coincidence. So we said, we're going to make this our cause. So every day between classes, after classes, even before classes, we'd go out traipsing in the woods trying to find that stone monument, which is now very well defined because there's a new sign there and everything. And, you know, it's, it's, it's received some attention. But at the time, right. it was, I mean, nobody cared about that. It was just in the middle of nowhere out here, you know, in an otherwise very rich suburb. It's kind of like a wilderness area, and there's this stone monument. And, when was and the stone monument placed? That was put there in 1909-1911 time frame by a guy wow. named Patrick Doyle. And now that's interesting. Excuse me. That was put there in 1909-1911 by Martin Clement, who my grandfather later worked for. But Clement, in 1909-1911, was living here at the site of Immaculata before it was a college with okay. the Doyle family. Patrick Doyle's sister... Bridget Doyle married George Donahue, and George Donahue had land right here on, on our property okay. where Immaculata is. They sold it to the IHMs. And Patrick Doyle, the, the brother of this woman, Bridget Doyle, was married to George Donahue, was the guy who put the wooden fence up in 1872 okay. around the presumed burial spot, which is where the stone monument is, where we now know, thanks to GPR, there's a whole lot of stopping voids down there, a big bunch of bodies. Right. Um, the stone mine was put in place by Martin Clement when he was just the assistant supervisor for the Pennsylvania Railroad, which brought out the Philadelphia and Columbia back in the 1800s. And, and when he became vice president and then later president of the Pennsylvania Railroad, that's when my grandfather started working for him in the 1930s, 1940s. Our grandfather, we're Scottish and Irish mostly, but we have a Sicilian grandfather. 
And so he, he was he was an immigrant himself. Started out as a stonemason, ended up you know working in the business, and became the uh, executive assistant of Martin W. Clement. Uh, he he became a an American, became a Protestant. He gave up his entire her- history and heritage in order to make it here. Our grandfather, right. you know. And I'm Catholic myself, but you know, anyway, I know I, I know my grand why my grandfather did what he did to make it, you know. Sure. But he 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 was the uh, the guy who took an interest in this once um, the Pennsylvania Railroad went under after merging with the New York Central. Everything went up for an auction. I have the auction catalog, Freeman's here, where all documents were were sold, you know, and it could the the uh, the. Philadelphia and Columbia information that was preserved by the Pennsylvania Railroad could have ended up in a collector in Wyoming, you know, right? by, by coincidence, not, maybe not coincidence, maybe it was meant to happen. My grandfather had enough interest in that story that he took that file and it was in our grandparents' house in Narberth. Unbelievable. And my brother remembers hearing our grandfather talk about Duffy's Cut when we were kids. Now, I don't have any personal recollection of that, right. uh, but my brother did, and it, it hit him and impacted him. So when my grandmother said, do you want to take anything? He said he wanted that file. Right. I didn't know that until 2002. That's and wild. so my, my eyes bugged out, my brain exploded, and then, then we got skeletons. So there's yeah. no way that no, nobody who goes down there thinks it's a coincidence that this was meant to happen. Somebody yeah. had to advocate for those guys because back in 1832, nobody did. Well, now it's our job. Right. So now it's our job. Um, I I just, I still can't believe that in, you know, I mean, this is, this is one of the wealthiest areas in the nation, you know, and and in the middle of it all is, is a mass burial. And the fact that you're telling me that now there's two other sites where there could be potentially a similar situation is just shocking to me. And, and there needs to be more awareness brought to it. Look, as I said to you on the phone the other day, Bill, I mean, unfortunately the Irish are thought about, you know, a March 1st to March 17th. It, it it's the only time that that there's a lot of recognition brought to anything that it is that we do uh, unless you two's on tour you know i mean mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean and and you know being brought up raised in an irish catholic household despite my lineage of having irish and italian in me you know my my grandfather my my father's mother was italian and my father's father was irish and mm-hmm. We were really raised in a very Irish household. Um, you know, I mean, I, I told you, you know, I was going to rallies down in Philadelphia to release the prisoners from the H block in the early 80s. You know, Bobby Sands and all those guys. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, that's the way that I was raised. And my Irish history was a huge, huge part of that. Now, now, did you know my father? You know, I I met him only through your your um, brother Tim. Who, okay. He told me that he was that your dad was interested in the story. And I spoke to your father on the phone a bunch of times. Yeah. You know, and he was interested in, in getting involved in the genealogy side of things, trying to trace down current descendants, collateral descendants of the men back in Ireland. Right. That would have been really cool. You know, I mean, we hope to do that someday. We just haven't been able to do that yet. Yeah, he's Your dad. A, was he was he was the man, you know? Yeah, he was a good dude. He was a, and you know what? He was an he was an avid history buff. My father mm-hmm. always had a book in his face, no matter what it was. He mm-hmm. was always reading and learning, and and when he got his doctorate, I'll never forget. My father sat next to me, and he looked over at me, and very plain as day, he said, "I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, Bri. 
I've been in school my entire <laughs> life, my whole life I've been in school. So, uh, you know, it was kind of neat, but I always remember my father and the later, you know, uh, when, when he first found out about this talking about it. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a reason we've all been put together, um, to Absolutely. do something with this. And, and I, 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 this story is just, it's never ending. You know, I've been reading the book. Um, if you guys get a chance, you can go on to the website of Duffy's cut. You can actually grab a copy of the book right there. Um, and learn more about it. it. Oddly enough, it's a great read. Um, Bill, well, now, what do you do at Immaculata? What is your, you're a professor of? A professor of history. And okay. uh, I've been here 21 years. And um, a lot of different classes today is, is medieval history. Um, World Civ. Uh, I do Russian history and Middle Eastern history. Those are wow. really, my, my original field was medieval Europe, the Islamic world and Russia and contact and conflict. And it, it proved to be remarkably um, timely, you know, around 2001. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, right. I do modern stuff, you know, uh, which is a lot easier than the medieval stuff, you know, and, and you know, World Civ stuff, Irish history now. Uh, that's a class that I love teaching here. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I have written a couple of books, uh, you know, relating to my original field. But the, the, the Irish stuff has drawn me in, in a way because it's my own heritage. My grandmother was Jane Donnelly, you know, and, you know, and the family was from Donegal. And, and I, I feel more at home doing this than anything I've ever done. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you're good at it. I'll tell you that. So if we can, uh, you know, if, if everybody who's out here right now listening and we can get the word out even further, you know, as I've spoken to you, Bill, I've reached out to a lot of my news contacts and I'm going to do some radio stuff. I'm working out. I'm going to be contacting them again today just to see if there's any possibility of of taking this a little bit further. You know, I think that, and as I said, unfortunately that month of March is when people really think about us, you know, we yeah. go from black yeah. history month into, Hey, Holy shit. Everybody's Irish now. Cause it's St. Patrick's day. Yeah. Um, yep. so now's the opportunity to get the awareness out there. So everybody, you got to do me a favor. I'm going to say it again. Look, this is, this is a donation of two, $3. You know, if you're feeling bigger, go for it, man. I'd appreciate it. And so would everybody else, but it's a great opportunity to be a part of a history that has come in kind of swept under a rug that, you know, then all of a sudden that rug was lifted up. And somebody looked down and saw something of interest and, and is now moving into this direction. And that's what I think is really awesome. I'd love to see the the remaining 57 exhumed, get them up, try to find out who they were, you know, see whether or not it was a full, you know, 57 murder. I mean, that's something that that I really want to know, you know, and then as well as Bill for you, if there's anything that I can do, I've said it already. Let's reach out and have that done. Um, I know Frank Daly from the band, uh, Jameson Celtic rock has been really involved right now. He's been talking to a lot of bar owners and a lot of other people while he's out there playing and talking, um, Joe, uh, everything that you've done from Doylestown brewery. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I just think it's really cool. And for me, the fact that my father was so interested in it leads that down to me. And now it's my job. And I've introduced it to my daughters as well, who are Emily and Fiona, my two little Irish girls. So, um, Bill, I, I appreciate your time. Joe, I appreciate your time as well for hopping on. Um, you know, Joe, uh, uh, Bill, if you could do me one more time, give us that website so everybody knows what it is and tell us again who yeah. you are so we can move on from there. Sure. Yes. Uh, William Watson, Dr. William Watson, Immaculate University. The website is HTTP uh, Duffy's Cut at Immaculata.edu. Got and, it. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of information on there. 
All right, great. Um, and then Joe, are you still on? Yes. Joe, can you and tell us how we can get in contact with you? Uh, if there's any bar owners or distributors or anybody out there, or even a, just a layman who wants to go and buy a case of beer, buy a keg, and drop it in a kegerator, how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, right on our website, uh, uh, DoylestownBrewingCompany.com. Uh, it's all spelled out. Uh, if you Google Doylestown Brewing, we'll pop right up. Um, and then there's uh, two ways, either the uh, Duffy's Cut page on our website where you can actually pre-order, just, just collect some information on uh, what your local distributor is, things like that. Um, or you can hit the contacts page and email me directly. Beautiful. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're moving into our month over here. So slancha to everybody. And uh, I will talk to you guys soon, man. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. So everybody go do that now. Go and donate. Look, I don't ask for money for stuff. It's not the world that I live in, uh, but I, I want you guys to get involved in this. We're trying to raise some bucket, you know, some ducats here, trying to get some clams, some simoleons, so that we can start to raise, uh, start to exhume some of these bodies. You know, let's get some of these guys up and see what happened and try to find it. You know, this is, this is a, a, you know, it's like opening a book. Um, that every page can unfold in front of you. And that's something that I'm really interested in. And so look, if you're Irish or, or not, or if you're just a human, go over to Duffy's Cut, Google it, find out where the donation page is. You can just type in Duffy's Cut donation and the page will pop right up right there. If you want to be lazy and you want to be uh, super intrigued at the same time, go over to my Facebook page. You can see the link that I've posted to the top of my page, which talks about Duffy's Cut. And I want you guys to buy some beer, man. Go out. Let's get shitty on some Irish Red Ale coming out from Doylestown Beverage or Doylestown Brewery. Uh, and throw a couple dollars in the coffer, uh, you know, to help get these boy, these boys and girls up. I mean, the fact that that there's 57 of them, and now they found another 13 miles away that there could be a whole nother round. This is crazy. Uh, you, it's like a horror story in a way. You know, it's an old wives' tale and folklore that is literally unfolding in front of us, which I think is really cool. So. Uh, that's where I'm going to end this part of it today. I want to thank you guys all for coming out. It's really important to me that you guys uh, support us. I love you guys all for it. Go over to iTunes right now and, and give us some reviews, man. Tell us what you think. Let's start to raise awareness about this little show that I do. Um, you all know I got three people out there that I got to thank the most. I mean, it's really four, but I got Jerry and Jason down there at RadioInfluence.com who do all of these podcasts. And if you're in Tampa or St. Pete, these guys got two, two studios. There are two studios right there for you that are ready to rock and roll. That, to me, is brilliant. Um, you know, go. You have a voice. You have something you want to talk about. You want to create a show. You want to do your own podcast. Hey, go for it. These guys are waiting for you. Open mics. Open arms. Two great guys to work with. I really enjoy them. Then Maggie Gagliardi. Yep, awesome chick. She's the graphic designer who uh, and the, uh, the artist who does all of our promo pieces. Go check her out on Instagram. That is the, uh, you know, at... M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Go and follow her. She's a brilliant artist. Then we have a radio, or I'm sorry, Techno Solution out there, um, who is uh, Michelle, does all my website and all that good stuff. So thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate it. Everybody do me a favor. Um, one, we're getting ready to run into the month of March. So happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Slancha to each one of you. Um, I appreciate your time and your effort and your energy. And then uh, go and donate. That's it. Duffy's Cut donate go to google do it right now 
drop a couple bucks in the coffer. Let's hear what you got to say. And uh, thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence.